Welcome to Too Many Captains of Movie Podcast. And you're listening to episode 79. Hey, I'm Movie Matt, and it's my turn to pick the film this week. So I've chose Sicario for our deep dive because Cocaine Bear, the dark comedy thriller from director Elizabeth Banks, will premiere in theaters this weekend. So I decided to revisit another film that deals with trafficking and drugs. I'm joined as usual by the elite special forces and operators, including Money Chris. Hello. Johnny D. Sicario. And Maddie G. Hey. <laughs> hey. All right. It's go time. So go time for this film was on September 18th of 2015. What was happening in the world back then? All kinds of things were going on. There was an 8.4 earthquake in Chile. Famous video with a pool shaken on top of a building. May have seen it. Automaker Volkswagen is alleged to have been rigging diesel cars to misreport on emissions. Crazy shit. I remember that. NASA discovered liquid on Mars. And the Rugby World Cup was going down. Crazy times. Any truth to the fact that the discovered liquid was for loco possibly <laughs> i kind of figured it'd be red bull just from a product placement point of view okay well that's what was happening in the world but as always what really matters is the money money tell us about the money all right sicario has a 92 percent tomato meter score and an 85 percent audience score it made a total of 85 million worldwide at the box office that's enough for about 2,100 kilos of cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> Depending on the price, I'm sure it fluctuates. It was nominated for three Academy Awards, but did not win. Those were Best Achievement in Cinematography, Best Achievement in Music, Written for a Motion Picture, Original Score, and Best Achievement in Sound Editing. Sounds like it's going to be a good second half of the show. <laughs> It is. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder uh, how much in bulk actually 85 million is because you figure that you're getting. Yeah, I think it's a lot cheaper when they're buying large, large amounts. Millions at a time, I would imagine. Yeah, I agree. I mean, none of the rest of us have any experience with that, but. (laughs) None of the rest. (laughs) The other three of us are more of a math podcast. (laughs) You're the only cocaine podcast. This show brought to you by ICE. All right. That brings us just a real easy segue from the drug talk. Let's talk about the casting couch. Wah, wah, wah. Unfortunately, we do not have any new members to our elite society known as Team Turkey. I found that actually kind of surprising. And just looking at who was in this, I fully thought somebody has been around. But... For instance, Josh Brolin, who I think is one of my favorite performers in recent years. This is actually the first time we've ever watched anything with him in it. He wasn't initially agreeable to join this production, but when he found out who was going to be the cinematographer, jumped at the chance. Foreshadowing. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Due to his past experience on No Country for Old Men. Did you guys have any thoughts about the cast? This does make two for Benicio, though. Oh, yeah. There's a bunch of two. (laughs) Yeah, there's a whole bunch because I was looking at Victor. 
Victor Garber, sure. He's got two. This was like right at the emergence of the guy from Get Out. Daniel. Daniel Kaluuya. Yeah. This is yeah. kind of. Kind of. The dumb. five years since then have been very good for him. Oh, yeah. But we never had, we've never had Emily Blunt in anything. Once. Once. Very recently. Yep. yep. In a mech suit. Does he know? <laughs> Has he thought of it? With Tom Cruise. Your favorite Scientologist. Is there anything in the bell yet? <laughs> he is my favorite Scientologist of, of the Scientologist. I mean, why am I? Edge of Tomorrow. There yes, you go. You got it. I had a little bit of a, a deeper look into the cast and movie Matt. Did you notice the actor playing the CIA officer with the glasses? His character name was Steve Forcing. Jeff- it's your boy mm-hmm. from Burn Notice. Yeah. yeah, Jeffrey Donovan. That you always love to compare that show having the production value of a movie. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. I noticed him right away. Yeah. He looked familiar to me, but I didn't put it together. I mean, it kind of makes sense. Isn't he kind of a secret agent type in that? He's kind of, he's had some movie roles. It's kind of one of those guys that, you know, Burn Notice, I thought was a pretty big show. It was pretty popular around For the For USA, Comic-Cons. I think it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so he's had some smaller roles but yeah he hasn't really taken off or anything and then probably for you money chris did you notice the guy who is the the dirty cop yes and i he's mcu he's the crooked politician who's uh works for whatever scepter not scepter what is it what's the bad organization oh hydra hydra yeah yes yes so everything I know him from, he's at least a little bit crooked. <laughs> he gets, he's one of the elevator guys. Yep. All right, movie Matt, it's your movie. You got an inquisition for us? Okay, guys. Since we're talking about the good, the good drugs, if you will, none of that marijuana, let's just talk about Coke. How many kilograms of Coke are seized in Texas annually? <laughs> Just at Matthew McConaughey's house or just the <laughs> entire state? At the border, I'm guessing you're meaning. At the border. Yeah, at the border. Kilos per year. I'm going with 25,000 kilos. I'll say I'll say 40. I'll say 100. 1,000, not yeah. 100. Yeah, 1,000. 17,000 kilograms. Money. Money got it. He's of like, course he did. That's about what my losses are. <laughs> yeah. That's, and the crazy part is, uh, well, it's probably more under Joe Biden, though. <laughs> That's true. Much because more. he failed in, yeah. because he catches more drugs at the border, which is bad, apparently. Yep. Because they're not secure. That's, you know, got to keep your, got to keep those uh, underground tunnels open. That's all right. We had to pay for this podcast equipment somehow. <laughs> then why do we have garbage equipment? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> How dare you? I know. You'd think we'd be able to have like some like, high-end video conferencing for this shit by this time. But, you know, we keep selling the weed. We got to sell the Coke. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's time for the narrative breakdown. In Arizona, FBI Special Agent Kate Maser and not former Indianapolis Colt wide receiver Reggie Wayne 
lead a raid on a cartel safe house. After securing the house, they discovered dozens of corpses hidden in the walls. So that's a record. Two sentences. I know. (laughs) So, I mean, this movie really starts off with a bang. It It does. does. And the bodies in the wall just immediately is really sets the tone for, you know, these people are bad, very Uh bad. And just the fact that they're going, you know, oh yeah, we've gotten X number of bodies and that's not even including anything. Like that's not including the basement or all that stuff. And it's, you know, it really does set a tone. I guess I I think it increases the intensity to a certain extent of like what's on the line. It really tells you like, oh yeah, these people are just killing random people, blah, blah, blah. They use it later with the, when they're, when they go to Mexico, they go to Juarez and there's, you know, people hanging and there's, you know, missing body parts and stuff like that. I thought it was interesting. I mean, that whole sequence stuck out to me too. And it was like, you know, if you're watching CSI, it, they would have stopped with that first shot in the wall of the dead person, you know, but like they kept going and they would hold those shots and like it, but it, and, and, and I'm not being morbid, but like it certainly set an intensity level. I mean, it was kind of like, we're not fucking around because it just kept slowly escalating. It wasn't like a shootout escalation, if you will. It was like you felt the intensity, you felt them dealing with it. Then they went they went out to the shed. Then like the shit you you saw the drama and the build up and the rush to the shed, the explosion in the shed. Then they panned to the the uh you know officer crawling out. Then they panned to the hand. It was just like we're gonna drive the point. Like how many films and definitely shows end with that first shot and it's like commercial break. If it was CSI, you know, Kate or whoever would have taken off their sunglasses and said, that's not what I call insulation. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's a good point. That's a good point. And then I would have cut over to the the Pink Panther talking about, you know, a commercial. Only at the Home Depot. Something like that. A booby-trapped shed explodes and kills two officers. After the raid, Kate is chosen to join a joint task force overseen by CIA officer Matt Graver and the mysterious Alejandro Gillick. Their mission is to flush out and apprehend a high-ranking cartel boss, Manuel Diaz, who is operating in the U.S. As soon as you see the guy with all the suits that has the the flip-flops on, you know that that guy's (laughs) CIA. It is a strange interaction. uh, introduction, and I don't think, I don't think he ever straight up says he's CIA until a lot later. Right. Like he gets accused of it many times. Yeah. It's all like, um, uh, we're Dep- Department of Defense contractors. We're this. We're special consultants or whatever. He's like, you're CIA. He's like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. <laughs> if you see a dude in flip flops in a powerful setting, uh, like a boardroom. The guy in flip-flops is probably the smart one. <laughs> I I would just rock flip-flops all the time. It's not great for your feet, though. Learned that last year. Great being 40. The Joint Task Force includes Delta Force, U.S. Marshals, complete with 10-gallon hats, and CIA. They travel to Juarez to extract Diaz's brother, Guillermo. All I want to mention is I love the convoy of 2007 
black Chevy Suburbans. They drive so aggressive and they like keep that formation. It's, it's so impressive. We do this all the time. Yeah, exactly. While crossing the border, the team's caravan gets stuck in traffic. They're ambushed by cartel hitmen, but the task force makes quick work of those amateurs. In the gunfight, Kate is forced to kill and is shaken afterwards. All I want to say is the way that the extraction scene is filmed coming back across the border, I think is some of the best like action sequence suspense ever captured. It's exactly what you guys were already talking about with holding shots. There's so little happening, but like there's so much and like just a subtle move, like the car inches forward and it keeps building and building and building both in how it's shot and, and the musical overlay that I, I love it. It's like one of those things where I think in the briefing ahead of time, like three times somebody says, it'll be when we come back across the border. And then right. Alejandra says it in the car. It's like, they're telling you it's going to happen. And even with all that, you're like, Oh, what's going to happen? <laughs> Watching it a second time. I was a little annoyed where Kate's just kind of like, what are you guys doing? What are you guys doing? It's like, there's a bunch of guys in cars with a bunch of assault rifles that are trying to going to try to kill us soon. Yeah. And then as soon as they start firing, then they get fired upon, you know, and it's like, this is pretty, you know, pretty standard. I would imagine for having drug cartel people trying to kill you at the border. Right. Um, you know, there was nothing crazy in terms of keeping themselves safe and being able to neutralize threats, what they wanted to do, but they had to play by these rules of engagement. So until they could see a gun, they couldn't get out of the cars and whatever, you know, and then as soon as they did that, and then it's like, and then as soon as somebody raises their gun then they can shoot, you know, so all these different like levels that you got the feeling they're like, we'd like to deescalate the situation, but we're not going to stop shy of where you're going. Well, first off, uh, Dangerous mentioned the Suburbans, but Honorable mentioned to the suspension on those F-150s. And also, yeah, I didn't, I, I agree with kind of the annoyance and how they set her character up here. Like, I just, you wouldn't put someone in a tactical situation that blind like this, just like, what's going on? Like, that wouldn't happen. Oh, I think they did it on purpose because they needed... If there wasn't an FBI person with them, what they were doing was illegal. They well, were committing no, an act because of they war. were true, in, but they were in Mexico, so I think it was okay. I don't know. Oh, yeah, maybe yeah. that part of the know. operation was legal. You're right. I mean, maybe I don't know. Well, yeah, they couldn't do anything on U.S. soil without her being. Yeah, there. I, I, I'm pretty sure they probably have an agreement with Mexico's president to operate to stop drug cartels or you know whatever that. Yeah that mission was sure because they did say to her matt said to graver not the two of you <laughs> said to her you don't have to go on this and she's like i want to go because she's curious what's really happening it just seemed like there was a disconnect from the tactical reality of the situation that kind of bugged me well she was military you know? right I think she I think our partner she, was. I don't think was she time. was. I think she was just law enforcement. Just law enforcement. Never mind. Back in the U.S., Alejandro asked Guillermo really nicely where their tunnel is that they use to smuggle drugs across the border. And since he asked so nicely, 
They find out that the tunnel is near Nogales. Gives them the, the Harvey Weinstein treatment. <laughs> Gosh. I am a little bit annoyed with this scene only because like what we know from all the data torture doesn't work for getting reliable information, but almost in every movie that you see it used on, they get pretty reliable information on it. There are much more efficient ways. And I thought like when Matt was talking about it, he kind of said, you know, he didn't have any other options. So he gave it to us, but it was like, no, you were torturing. (laughs) You didn't appeal to his uh, self-preservation, at least what, from what we saw. This is on the heels of, Zero Dark Thirty, which basically we found yeah. out there was little, little to no reliable data. I mean, that's that whole movie, The Report, was about that we talked about. That is correct. Kate confronts Matt, who finally tells her the true object, which is to disrupt Diaz's drug operation so he will lead them to his boss, Fausto Alicone. Kate asks Reggie to join her. The task force raids a bank that launders Diaz's drug money. After the raid, Matt and Alejandro tell them not to go into into the bank, but they do anyway to find financial evidence. Kate and Reggie want to start a legal case against Diaz using the evidence, but are told to drop it as it would jeopardize the operation. Reggie and Kate go to a bar to blow off some steam. Reggie introduces Kate to local cop Wayne Jenkins. I mean, Ted. <laughs> Kate and Ted hit it off, and after a line dance or two, they're doing the boot scooting boogie back to her place for a bit of the old bushwhacking. A bit of the old bedroom rodeo. A bit of the old riding the Boney Express. Lucky for Kate, she notices Ted in possession of the same colored bands used to roll money that they found at the bank. Not me. He's working for the cartel. A struggle ensues, and Ted strangles Kate. But before she is killed, Alejandro appears and apprehends Ted. Alejandro and Matt admit to Kate they used her as bait, knowing the cartel would target them once they saw her face on the bank's security cameras. How long was it to you guys between when she walks into the bank, requests the meeting with her boss, and then goes to the honky-tonk? Was that the same day? That's what I assumed. That's how I took it. I have a little bit of a hard time with the logic, believing that the cartel got the footage, contacted their network of crooked cops, found one with a connection to one of the two FBI people, and got him to agree to, at the minimum, spy on her, or maybe worse. That kind of strained the credibility a little bit. Yeah, they just looked on Facebook. Just Facebook <laughs> friends. Like I can see like all those things working if they had a week or a month or something like that. But it's just like like make a call. Be like, oh yeah, we got 10 guys who do that. Oh yeah, we know somebody who knows that guy. Because there was a lots of things, you know, that had to work out for that to Well, maybe to it down. was about a week because actually the wild pony, the bar was in Albuquerque. New Mexico, not Tucson, Arizona. So, <laughs> so was it supposed to be sometime? Oh, okay. I mean, the actual that oh, is a like real where bar. they filmed. Okay, yeah, okay, yeah. That is. I was just playing and, off the fact that 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 is a real bar, but it's in Albuquerque, gotcha. not Arizona. Yeah, and I think on the first time I watched it, I kind of took took it as that they were trying to kill her, but then 
Um, and he was, but Alejandro was like, oh no, he wasn't trying to, he wasn't there to kill you. He was just trying to figure out what you knew. Yeah. And I was thinking about it. It's like, yeah, whenever she starts getting the gun out and start, you know, then it's like, okay, well now we're in this life or death situation. Oh yeah. It escalated. I, I don't think I agree. I don't think he was there to kill her. I'm just saying like already being a crooked cop and just getting him in place in hours. Yeah. No, and being like go and then they're they're following her and then they're sending somebody in to meet her and fraternize with her you know whatever it just it's really hard to believe they could they could do that that quick i don't know i i kind of disagree like i feel like the cartels are powerful they could make that shit happen they had a they had a feed a live feed into the security cams i guess so so they didn't have to go check the feed they already had it yeah, and I mean the cameras were probably like the passwords probably like bank one two three, uh, and they're in. And I mean, you know, it wouldn't be that hard to you know zero in on it. Got to move quick. Alejandro and Matt beat Ted into revealing the name of the other officers working for Diaz. The team get word that Diaz has been re- has been recalled to Mexico, so they prepare to raid the tunnel near Nogales. Matt tells Kate and Reggie they have to, they have to be part of the tunnel raid as CIA is not allowed to operate alone within U.S. border. Reggie wants to tell them to f off, but Kate is still curious of what the true mission is. As the raid begins, Kate tells Alejandro. Wow, as the raid begins, Kate tails Alejandro through the tunnel into Mexico. She sees him abduct Silvio, a corrupt Mexican police officer working as a drug mule for Diaz. Kate tries to arrest Alejandro, but he shoots her in her Kevlar vest and drives away with Silvio. Kate confronts Matt, who explains to her that the mission is part of a larger operation to consolidate the cartels down to one main cartel so the U.S. can more easily control them. He also tells her that Alejandro previously worked for the Medellin cartel in Colombia and was hired to assassinate Alicón, who was responsible for ordering the murder of Alejandro's wife and daughter. Alejandro has Silvio use his patrol car to pull over Diaz. He then kills Silvio and shoots Diaz in the leg. I know it's an older model, but I really think Money Chris needs to start driving a 2010 Mercedes-Benz S550. (laughs) It's a slick ride. No blood in the car, though, please. (laughs) He forces Diaz to drive to Alicón's estate, where he kills Diaz and all the guards. He then joins the Alicón's for a brief dinner where he kills his wife, kids, and finally Alicón. I wonder how much loot the maid made out with. <laughs> I hope a lot. The one person he didn't kill yeah. that we see anyway. I yeah. thought it was interesting that the entire tunnel thing was to get him in to the area. And then the police officer can't be part of the plan that he just happened to be there. Right. So that that was one thing that I thought was weird. But like he could have just probably flown across, you know what I mean? Like Yeah. It's not like you can't get across the border. I think they wanted to make sure that they were following the whole way. Like you know how they had been like they picked him up at his house and they followed him from point A to point B because they didn't know where he like I think they know where he lives, but I think he falls off their radar and they wanted to be able to have both an operation overhead and then 
him along the way. But I agree. It seems like as capable as he is, he probably could have got it done and then more the, simply. And then the only reason why, I guess they had to have him um, go across because they needed, because he's the only one that knew where right. the, the boss, boss was. Yeah. Which seems weird to me that... The thing that I assumed, because I kind of thought that too, but like the thing that I assumed was like there was an assumption that, you know, they had an inside connection at the airports, you know, they know who's going through the airport, stuff like that. Yeah, that could be true. The next day, Alejandro appears in Kate's apartment and forces her at gunpoint to sign a statement saying that the entire operation was legal and by the book. She signs and he leaves. As he's walking through the parking lot, he draws her gun on him. Alejandro turns around and looks at her, but she can't bring herself to shoot. Alejandro turns back around and continues walking. Back in Nogales, Silvio's widow watches her son's football match, which is interrupted by the sound of gunfire. Credits. Okay, so one of the things I thought was weird was the whole, like, you need to sign this to say we did everything by the book, and it's like, like, what? Like, because it's, you know what I mean? Like, it's CIA. I don't know, it just seemed weird to me. I was thinking that it was basically like the FBI's after action report that Kate would be responsible to write. They basically wrote her report for her and hand it to her and say, you need to sign this. Yeah, it still is odd to me that, I mean, it's CIA, right? So him working for the CIA, he doesn't have to follow the CIA's rules, obviously. But But what I mean is like, that is the CIA's rule. You know what I mean? Like, the CIA is, I mean, killing a drug kingpin. I mean, killing the family is one thing, but I don't know. It just seemed like it wouldn't have been that big of a deal overall. And then the fact that the actual op was the tunnel and then the fact that there was something else going on on the other side, that's not really her. Anyway, I right. just thought it was, I just thought it was a kind of an unsatisfying end and also knowing that She's not in the second movie at all. It was just kind of, you know, it was the end for her character, and that was just kind of a weird thing. And then never point your gun at me, a weapon at me again thing, because she did it, and yeah. then nothing happened. My only thought is he never thought she would pull the trigger. He's like, eh, that's a freebie. I'll give you that one. The other thing is is that they kind of make it out that he, you know, first she's like, he works for the cartel it's like oh no he does not work for the cartel he just or maybe he did i don't know because he, he was a lawyer so i'm assuming maybe he might have represented somebody. no he was a prosecutor prosecutor okay yeah and that's why the cartel killed his family because he had prosecuted yeah. drug dealers so they also kind of let let her think to for a certain extent i mean she figured it out but that you know he was just a cartel trying to get rid of the the competition but no it was the people that killed this fan got his family killed. Yeah. Nothing personal, though. <laughs> We're going to overtime. We'll be right back with breaking news and exclusive interview and some of the best Captain content you've ever heard. Stay tuned. Glad we're back! And better than ever. Money, tell us about the director's chair. All right, the director is Denis Villeneuve. Ooh la la. Ooh. He is French-Canadian. 
We said his name completely wrong last time we mentioned it because I thought that I didn't know what well, that it was French. So, Dennis Villeneuve? <laughs> thought it was Nueve. <laughs> thought maybe he was Spanish or something. Gotcha. So he has a bunch of huge movies. He's got some huge credits behind him, in front of him, under him, I guess. So he has done Dune, Blade Runner 2049, and Arrival, which we were discussing a little bit last time. He has three Academy Award nominations for Best Motion Picture and Adaptive Screenplay for Dune in 2022, and Best Director for Arrival in 2017. But he has not won any of those personal, so to speak, under his name. However, all the movies he has directed have been nominated for 28 and won nine. So pretty wow. accomplished whenever you put things together. Yeah. Um, you know, sound and things like that. So he was born in 1967 in Canada and attended the University of Quebec in Montreal for cinema. Don't really have any more information on him. I'm a big fan. I mean, his career does go back a little further than I go with it because I think he was doing French-Canadian films before he kind of came to the U.S. and started doing Hollywood pictures. But since then, I don't feel like he's really had a miss. If you like his stuff and you haven't seen it all, I would definitely recommend Prisoners. It is dark and twisted, but very memorable. That's one of my favorite twisty, unusual endings in modern cinema. Yep. Hard to, I, I'm kind of the same way. I haven't ventured be before prisoners, but everything since then has been pretty damn good. And I'm very much looking forward to Dune part two. Yeah. Going to the bathroom or watching Sicario number two? What are we talking about? Dune part two. Dune part two. Oh, Dune. Dune. Dune I thought you were saying Dune part two. And I was like, <laughs> Dune part two of Sicario? Dune part two. Dune number two or Dune? Okay, Dune two. D2, the Mighty Ducks. Yeah. All right, that brings us to everyone's favorite segment, production design. Hey, that's me. Yeah, that's you, movie, Matt. I was waiting for you to say something. I didn't know if there was more of a teaser or or something. but You're the tease here. ah, That's good. That's good. Um, So fun fact uh, about Albuquerque, New Mexico, where home of the primary filming for this film, it hosts one of the biggest balloon festivals in the world. Nice. Yep. Is that how they get the yeah. drugs? Yeah. That's one way. I actually, no, I was going to say, it wouldn't surprise me. It seems brilliant to sneak some drugs on a balloon. <laughs> my, uh, my, I have an aunt and uncle that lived there. And so I didn't go during the annual balloon festival, but even just a random Saturday, they there's dozens of balloons that go up. It's, Pretty cool and fun to watch. I can say that on a random Sunday, this past one, I did not see any balloons when I drove through there on my way back from Colorado. It was cold. Well, I guess, yeah, we got in like at 9 o'clock at night and left at about 9 o'clock in the morning. So probably not peak ballooning time. Movie Matt, did it happen to mention when they were filming this? Roughly a year or time of year? Yeah, it dropped in in September of 2015, but principal photography uh, started in June, late June of 2014 in Albuquerque. So I don't know if you guys are familiar with or watch the shows, but 
two of the biggest productions that have been primarily set in Albuquerque in recent years are Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. And I was just looking it up and that's like the break right in between those two shows. So Breaking Bad final season was in 2013 and then Better Call Saul started in 2015. So there's kind of been a, a major show or movie about cartel <laughs> drug movement set there for what going on 15 years now. It's interesting driving through you like there's notable like massive sound stages just like right on I-25. It's uh, it, you know, it's obviously become a huge film town and I think we're trying to replicate some of that here in Oklahoma. So there was also some filming in Mexico City. What stood in for Juarez? Juarez was filmed in areas of Mexico City. There are no Juarez credits. I don't think that, I don't even see a note of B-roll filmed in Juarez. Um, (laughs) If a place is that scary as they were representing it, then you can't have those kind of stars hanging out. Well, you know, I mean, movie Ash spring break there in college. (laughs) Like, for real. Some of the spots, like the hotel was the Motel 1 in Albuquerque. Still there today, Motel 1. You can actually look it up, and there's a shot capped from the film and a shot of t- from today, and it looks like exactly the same. The bank is now like a, a dentist office, it would appear. I'd totally lean into it if I was that dentist and like make the bands that you put around kids' braces, the pink and blue. <laughs> wild pony looks to be an available property according to this blog so maybe we should go down there definitely needs a uh, parking lot to be paved but it looks like uh yeah it's for rent let's see realtor name sanchez uh may have that available so i thought like they did great one thing i couldn't find a lot of details on that i was curious about was the filming of the scene at the border obviously there's some B-roll shot there. I was, you know, I'm curious. Like, I can't imagine it would be easy to fly a drone over a border control station, even for film. So I, I don't know. Uh, and, and then 2015, I don't know. I mean, it was probably a helicopter shot. But uh, yeah, 2015 was when the border was still completely Yeah, it was open wide too. open then. It wasn't yeah. secured. There was no good wall. So dangerous times. I mean, that's, that's all, you know, good points. Um you know, we've made made those borders great again. I'm curious a lot about the guns, and I, I, I'm just going to go ahead and bet that Dangerous has some facts there because, like, they weren't messing around. I'll do my best to keep this quick. A majority of the weapons used were Glock 17 and 19 handguns and various M4A1 assault rifles by all the FBI, CIA, <laughs> marshals, you know, etc., But I did want to focus in on the choices of prosecutor-turned-assassin Alejandro Gillick. He used a Heckler & Koch MP5A3 at the return border crossing, where he gets that great, like, the hand up and being like, like the settle, settle. (laughs) And then later in the climax, when clearing the mansion, he dispatches everyone in his path with a suppressed H&K Mark 23. So he likes German guns. Correct me if I'm wrong, but aren't those H&Ks uh, a favorite of special forces? Yes. 
They're extremely reliable and very expensive. And Special Forces loves them. It's time for Maddie G and the Sound of Music. All right, so Iceland's Johan Johansson was the composer for the score for Sicario. He has written for various mediums, including film, theater, dance, and television. He started his music career in the late 80s with the terribly named Daisy Hill Puppy Farm. The music was far better than the name. For the rest of the 90s, he played guitar and was a producer for various indie bands in Iceland. In 1999, he formed Kitchen Sink, which was an art collective and record label, which encouraged collaboration between artists of punk, classical, jazz, metal, and electronic music. It was this project that he developed his own sound and would release solo albums on the very cool British label 4AD during the 2000s, as well as beginning his film scoring career. Some of his film composition works include Denis Villeneuve's Prisoners, <laughs> The Theory of Everything, Arrival, Mandy, the Nicolas Cage action horror film, and Mary Magdalene, which he collaborated with fellow Icelandian, I guess that's, is that correct? <laughs> Nomenclature. Uh, Hilger Gunnadatur, who would go on to win the Academy Award for Best Score for Joker a couple years ago. But she also played cello, for Sicario and her first solo score for an American film was the sequel Sicario Day of Soldado. I thought that was kind of a cool yeah, trade off. there. Is. He was hired by Darren Aronofsky to compose the score for mother. However, after completing an entire 90 minute score, both director and composer decided the movie was best with no score at all. Oh wow. He also worked on Villeneuve's Blade Runner 2049 but did not complete the project as the director felt he needed something closer to the original score by Vangelis. The final film he was announced to compose was Christopher Robin but unfortunately he passed away before starting work on it and the film is dedicated to him. God, he wasn't old. He was 48. 48, yeah. Wow. Johansson was nominated by the Academy Award for best score for both the theory of everything and Sicario in back-to-back years for Sicario. The direction was to create subtle warm music with a sense of dread music. You can feel as much as you can hear. Johansson wanted to create a visceral sound that could affect physically in a way. So he worked with the lower end of the sound spectrum, as you just heard lots of string basses and low woodwinds. He also went to Copenhagen to record with a pipe organ with 32 foot pipes to create the sounds of brooding brutality and to be intense and relentless. I believe he achieved his goal and the Academy awarded him with that nomination. Unfortunately, that year he was up against some of the titans and legends of the craft, John Williams, Carter Burwell, Thomas Newman, and Ennio Morricone, who finally won his first Academy Award for Hateful Eight. As for the sound department, there were too many to go into. This film sound was well taken care of, and I'm sure other captains would agree. There were five people on the sound team who have been nominated for 25 Academy Awards for Best Sound or Best Sound Editing with five total wins. Definitely the sound was one of the highlights uh, for me in this movie. Yeah. 
And the thing that I found kind of surprising is how different the different tracks when I was listening through the soundtrack. So there are those kind of the haunting building one like we talked about, but there's also like really pretty like guitar ones that remind me of like more like Spanish style cinema. Yeah. It's a great soundtrack. Yeah, it sounds really great. Definitely has that dread, that low, those those bass, and it's just like, can't remember. I mean, there's a lot of movies that have kind of soundtracks like that, but this one's really great. I I didn't know he had passed either. That that really stinks. Yeah, <laughs> he was. I really liked him, but that's that's kind of cool because it kind of seems like I don't know if she was necessarily a, an apprentice for him, but. The gunner daughter, gunner's gunner's daughter, yeah, you say gunner it, daughter, has, has kind of taken up the mantle, and yeah, she's actually they're not up for surprisingly not up for awards this year, but she did for uh, two uh, best picture nominees for uh, she did women talking and tar, right? So I, tar wasn't that's kind of surprising. Her yeah. really good things about the sound from you, from you. yep, El Dangeroso. Who was your favorite Mighty Duck? I bet it was Charlie and his adoption of Coach Bombay's Triple Deke. I am thrilled to reintroduce the audience to the living legend that is the one and only Sir Roger Deakins. We have done 70 deep dives since number nine when we covered the last visual stunner from Deakins, Skyfall. The Englishman has been shooting for the past 45 years and has 16 nominations and two wins for Best Cinematography at the Oscars. Actually, Roger is currently up for Empire of Light at the 95th Academy Awards, and if he won, he would join the elite club of Lubeski, Richardson, and Strataro as the only living three-time recipients. Sicario was his second of three collaborations with Denis Villeneuve, preceded by Prisoners and followed by Blade Runner 2049. He has been a frequent collaborator with Edward Zwick and Sam Mendes, but his most famous pairing is with the immensely talented Coen brothers on 12 movies so far. If this wasn't enough information yet, I'll give you a list of some of his other well-known works. The Shawshank Redemption, Fargo, O Brother Where Art Thou, A Beautiful Mind, the Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford, True Grit, and 1917. Captains, I would like to hear your thoughts on the visuals. And be careful not to reek when you speak about your peek into the film by Roger Deke, because, according to me, he's on fleek. God, no. Uh, <laughs> long live the Deke. Uh, yeah, he's got... A whole bunch of greatness to his name. And did you say he's only won two Oscars? Yeah. It's just amazing. And his two are like in the last five years. Yeah. like He had a record. He had like 12 nominations before his first win. Yeah, that's amazing. I would have picked, if I was going to guess, it'd be like six or something. He's, it's pretty crazy. They they must not be voting for him just because he's done so well so many times. Mm Mm-mm. We can't vote for him. He's too good. So yeah. rigged. NFL so rigged. <laughs> <laughs> he's the Chiefs. <laughs> yeah, he's basically the Patrick Mahomes of yes of cinematography. cinematography. Yes. Every year, he just he's in the AFC Championship game. <laughs> this film looks great, though. For real, it really does. 
I, I mean, I think it's badass. Kind of something that kind of stuck out to me this time in watching it is how many times he lets a conversation happen far from the camera or characters be very separated. And one of the things I thought about it is I think he was trying to visually point out the isolation and the lack of information that Kate was experiencing all the time. Like things were happening around her, but it was always, you know, they would carry on and do their own thing. And she's like, Hey, and it felt like the, the long takes and then that use of framing made you feel uncomfortable and isolated and scared for her. And as the viewer, we kind of step into her shoes. For me, my favorite visual, which I could have picked a lot of things. I loved the sunset shot of all the paramilitary personnel walking in the parallel lines towards the beginning of the tunnel. And they just kind of drop behind the horizon as the music is building. Uh, I was going to mention that too. So <laughs> yeah, you like same wavelength there. Hey, it's been a humdinger of a day. Go home, get some rest. We'll find our own ride. We'll see you tomorrow. All right. That brings us to the captain's choice where we talk about some movies that you think you might like if you like this movie. And movie Matt is going first. What did you pick? So I picked the 2016 film Hell or High Water, uh, directed by David McKenzie. I think, so basically the film is set in West Texas. So in that same region, I think you see some visual similarities. Um you know, with, with West Texas and, you know, New Mexico wars, that whole kind of, I guess it'd be like the I-15, I-25, uh, I-10, uh, I-40 corridor, like that quadrant that I find to be one of the most kind of like desolate yet beautiful places on earth. And anyway, so I think there's a visual comparison there, but you also see kind of the outlaws, you see kind of a weird interaction with law enforcement and all that. The film just kind of clicked for me, uh, very similar. Of course, it is also written by uh, Taylor Sheridan. So you see, there's there's all that. Yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that movie uh, fairly recently and I liked it a lot. It's pretty good. Jeff Bridges, Chris Pine, and uh, is it Ben Foster? Yes. Yeah, it's a good one. Gil Birmingham as well. Yep. Uh, Jeff Bridges, like, freaking brings it in this film, too. Like, I was just, I was going to look, was he nominated for anything? Like, you're kind of like, holy hell, like, Jeff Bridges is solid, but, like, he brings it, I felt, in this film. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it's, 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 a, it's a good one. Not nominated, but, yeah, he, he, is, he is good in it. All right, Matty G, you're up next. All right, well, mine is 2007's No Country for Old Men, one that I'm sure we've all seen, and if our listener hasn't seen, well, he should remedy that ASAP. Directed by the Coen Brothers, starring Tommy Lee Jones, Javier Bardem, Bardem, Woody Harrelson, and my third favorite lady of Scotland, Kelly MacDonald. Holdovers from No Country Old Men that were also part of Sicario being Josh Brolin and cinematographer Roger Deakins, which Johnny D mentioned earlier. 
In this film, several parties are trying to locate a large sum of money found during a drug deal gone bad in a desert near the U.S.-Mexico border. Just a great movie. One of the best of the last 20 years. Yeah. Easy. It was my favorite of that year by far. Even it was over, a really good year. Even over, uh, what was the other? No, uh, There Will Be Blood. Yeah. Yes. Those two are neck and neck. I drink your milkshake. <laughs> it was a great year for a film. Yeah. I don't know what else to say. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I love that movie. So Jeff Bridges was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. The film, of course, nominated for Best Picture, along with Best Original Screenplay and Best Editing. Nice. So Supporting Actor, okay. Supporting Actor, yeah. I think I queued it up wrong. and Yeah. Actually, they, they have... It's weird, though, that it lists Jeff Bridges' name first. Yeah. But he was nominated for Best Supporting. But, like, everything from the movie card, the poster, to the... Even, I mean, even how it's listed on Wikipedia as Jeff Bridges with the title. The, the You know, for listed first, but he was nominated for Supporting. So, kind of interesting. All right. Johnny Dangerous, what you got? Apparently the black plague. Besides coughing. <laughs> the similarity between Sicario and my choice dealt with the plot. Both movies cover the relationship between the cartels and the American government and have entertaining combat scenes between special ops and drug lords. Clear and Present Danger from 1994 stars Harrison Ford, Willem Dafoe, Ann Archer, and James Earl Jones. A box office success and still holding an 80% critics' approval on Rotten Tomatoes. The action thriller based on the Tom Clancy novel tells the story of CIA analyst Jack Ryan's involvement in a covert war against Colombian cartels at the secret approval of the president. I hope all the captains watched it in your youth as it was a formative for me during those years. Great pick. I've watched that movie so many times, actually. Movie Joe. And I were big fans of that and watched it quite a bit. It was on, it's back when, you know, it was on HBO and HBO 2 and HBO 3 and HBO 3 West. And, you know, we, we you know, so it was always on. And we watched that one a lot. Good, good film. All right. Well, I was originally going to pick Hell or High Water, but, you know, that didn't work out. So I'm going to go based on the name. And this is kind of like, you know, old person, you know, you ask them about something or the person who, knows the film with the guy and whatnot. So I'm going to go with Serpico um, just because I feel like if I said, told my parents that I was watching Sicario, they'd be like, you watching Serpico. And so <laughs> 1973 crime drama, Al Pacino, pretty hmm. famous, um, you know, guy was talking about exposing corruption in the police force and gets targeted himself. And, uh, you know, Academy Award winning actor Al Pacino, who also could probably be in Sicario somewhere if he wanted to. This has been on my list for a very long time as something that I want to watch and I haven't gotten around to it. I think the first time that it kind of came on my radar is when uh, Charlie inadvertently starts playing his own version of Serpico in an episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> Mr. Mayor. <laughs> I got your evidence right here. <laughs> also in uh, 
Rushmore, Max puts on one of his plays as Serpico. That's right. <laughs> and here's the man of the hour. Coming with or waiting here? Well, we'll take the tour with you. Loan us a couple pop guns. All right, this is turning into an all-star affair. Keith, you want another hand on the exchange? You sober? <laughs> we'll be by the time we get there. Got a bottle of truck in case your hands get shaky. No, I could always count on you, Keith. All right, that brings us to our conclusions. And as always, we start with the lowest score first. Back to true form. Johnny Dangerous, what'd you think? All right. I did not see Sicario in theaters, but when it scored some Oscar nominations, I watched it on a Netflix rental, as people back in my day did. My first experience led me to buy the Blu-ray, and then a few years later, I upgraded to the 4K UHD. The movie isn't perfect when it comes to the plot, and the protagonist never really gets the upper hand like I hoped she would. The movie would just be good, but the style, suspense, sound, and amazing visuals push it up to great. So, Sicario earns three and three-quarter sad Mexican children playing soccer without their fathers. All right. I will go next. So, I originally accidentally purchased Sicario 2 thinking I was buying Sicario 1 from like Best Buy or something. It was on sale. Like the, the sequel was. So I watched the sequel f- second. It was okay. It's not as good as Sicario 1 for sure. I think watching it the first time, I would have scored it a little bit higher. After re-watching it for the podcast, I think maybe my score would have dropped just a little bit. Just kind of knowing that the story kind of ends there for Kate's character and things like that, I kind of wish that you know, you basically like use the main character just to get a certain result. And then they're just kind of thrown away basically is what, what occurs. So I'm going to give it four captains. Movie Matt. What did you think? I really enjoyed the film. Uh, I liked it. I think I also first saw it on a Netflix, uh, Blu-ray DVD, whatever rental that came in the mail, you know, one of those, um, I do agree there might be some plot oddities and inconsistencies, though I do think they they also somewhat aid the storyline of the chaos that goes along with an operation like this, with the drug world, with how our government and law enforcement deals with the cartels. So I didn't find them to be out of place it kind of added to the chaos of the real life scenario uh that plays out i thought it was shot phenomenally i thought the acting was phenomenal it's a dark film and i think it did an excellent job as i kind of hit on early on with the buildup of the dramatic scenes to show kind of the magnitude of what's going on so i really appreciated that uh I like the film, you know, I was a fan of 24, like kind of, kind of in a genre I like too. So going into it, I, 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 you know, probably expected to like it even back then. And I've watched it quite a few times, was glad to watch it again this week. So I'm going to go ahead and give this one 4.25 captains. All right, Matty G, what'd you think? I am for sure. I did not see this film in theaters but I wish I would have because I'm sure it sounds amazing. I'm going to have to uh, persuade Johnny D or uh, <laughs> Money Chris over here to let me you know, borrow their theater room at some point. 
I believe I probably got this Netflix or a Redbox rental, and I bought this in 4K over the holiday. It was like a six dollar. I was like, um, that's it was a no brainer. I don't have much to add that you guys haven't already. Yes, there are a few plot holes maybe, but the acting by the cast and the director, cinematography, the sound and music just you know push it over, push it up for me. And it's a movie I don't really get tired of watching. I give Sicario 4.25 bites of dinner before getting shot in the head. Oh, wow. <laughs> not, a, not a lot of bites, though. All right. That gives us 4.1 captains. Congratulations. You are first rate. A lot of love went into him. Uh, we have had 4.1 before. Earlier this season on Spotlight and last season on The Last Black Man in San Francisco. All right. Maddie G, what can you see from the crow's nest? Coming up on the next deep dive, Money Chris is using the next golden ticket to select the 2015 sports drama Creed. This film is directed by Ryan Coogler and stars John Rambo, Killmonger, Valkyrie and Claire Huxtable. <laughs> at the time of recording, this film is streaming on Prime Video and is available for rent or purchase at any of the major digital platforms. Join us as we each load up on carbs by downing our favorite Italian dish from Adrian's, then try to run up all 72 steps to the Philadelphia Museum of Art and try not to blow chunks. All this and more on the next deep dive. All right. As always, we end the deep dive with one of our favorite quotes from the film. Take it away, Maddie G. Got to get you a new bra, woman. Nothing will make sense to your American ears, but in the end, you will understand. Until someone finds a way to get 20% of America to start putting this shit into their ears, one fan is the best this podcast can hope for. (laughs) (laughs) You're asking me how a watch works for now. Just keep an eye on the time. That concludes another deep dive from Too Many Captains. You can find us on a moviepodcast.com as well as Instagram and Twitter. If you enjoyed what you heard today, subscribe, write a review, or post a link to your favorite episode on social media. Give us some feedback. It really does help. We will be back with another mini next week. And thanks for listening.